Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. This is episode 11, where we have myself, Delton, the usual host, my wife, Haley, the yellow player. Stop. And then, I don't know what color player he would be, but our friend Brian again from episode 6. Back by popular demand. Only because his episode has the most listens of the entire podcast. I don't know how that happens, but it does. 27 of them are me. (laughs) (laughs) I could see that for sure. It is good. Brian's episode was good, so I'm glad it's actually getting listens. I didn't know how magic would do in the board game realm, but I know it's a huge thing, so that's good. Are you sure it just wasn't Brian they listened for? I have no idea. Maybe. That's going to be scary because this episode's going to blow up. The tweets are rolling in already. (laughs) The tweet. The sad part is we did not get any pictures of you sent in, and we also requested them again as well as to add Allison to it. And we have not got anything yet. Yeah, I heard that. I, I'm going to I'm gonna assume that it's because nobody has Microsoft Paint anymore and not that, you know, I, I was incredibly unlikable. They discontinued Microsoft Paint. Do you know that? I mean, it's about time. Yeah, this, I believe the end of last year was officially the last update and they won't be putting it on any more computers. So I'm glad I quit mid-first when I did because that's how I occupied 90% of my time was making motivational sales posters with Microsoft Paint. That was the sales whale and Otto the <laughs> audit otter? Otto the audit otter and all hail the sales whale. There we go. That is what Haley did <laughs> at, the b- <laughs> at the bank. Here's the thing. Since I made the sales whale, so for about four months straight, we just hit bronze as a branch, which is like the minimum tier you have to meet in your sales. But the month that I put up the sales whale until the month that I left the bank, we did silver or better. You realize that's basically all you, though. You drew your own photo. You were motivated by it. So you carried the branch. It worked. (laughs) Nice job letting her get away mid first. Very brilliant. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So today we will be drinking two different beers. That was really loud. The first of which is going to be Coop's Native Amber. I should have read it. Haley, will you read this to the fine folks that are listening? Native Amber is an audacious blend of hops and malt, caramel and biscuit notes. Biscuit notes? Yes, there is a biscuit malt. What does a biscuit note sound like? Caramel and <laughs> caramel and biscuit notes. <laughs> that was a sausage biscuit. Though. That was a sausage biscuit. <laughs> Caramel and biscuit notes carry the cascade and cluster hop additions through to a, an enjoyable round finish. The malt complexity proves rich, and the dry hopped character is ending. Okay, and it is a 6.5%. It's through Coop, another local Oklahoma company. So first, we, uh, we sniff very lightly. Yep, smells like a beer. It smells like a beer with some hops in it. And then uh, we, gets to do, we gets to do, we do the tasting. It's an amber that's been hopped. Yeah, it's good, though. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's not too bad. It's a beer we like. We've had them before. You can get this pretty much anywhere in Oklahoma. I feel like Coop is one of the Oklahoma brewing companies that everybody knows, like, right offhand. Yeah, they're, I feel like they're more, I don't want to say basic, but they don't do the crazy stuff that, well, like, Roughtail does Maybe and stuff. established is the appropriate word. I mean, aren't yeah. they, they've been around for quite some time. Anthem is from 2013. Well, then there you go. Yeah, there you go. They're still pretty new. And I, I think Roughtail's basically the same timeline or pretty close. They might be a little older or a little newer. I'm not sure. So we've been playing some games, just kind of all over the place, really. 
We showed Brian Viticulture, which has been one of our new favorites. Verisimilitude. He yeah, called it Verisimilitude. That was good. Can you use it in a sentence? Verisimilitude? Yeah. Can you tell me what it means? <laughs> <laughs> That's how I am, too. Put that in your definition book. I, feel I would, like but a, I don't know the definition. I, I feel like it's a very positive word. Yeah, I, I have no idea. I've heard the word before, and I've read it multiple times, but I've really got nothing. Usually it's in context, and I can kind of get it, but you know how that is. Context never gives you a true definition. I feel like it's a, a really great word for flexibility. Like being able to take on multiple projects efficiently. I was going to say. But I'm, I could be completely wrong. It could be a venereal disease for all I know. I was going to say I'm going to go to yoga, yoga class and show off my verisimilitude to the trainer. What does that mean? That it, sounds it's like a different a, kind of flexibility. That sounds like an arrest waiting to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to show my verisimilitude to the yoga trainer. It's like a sex crime. Yeah, exactly. Here come the sirens. I'm just saying my downward facing dog has improved. <laughs> Yay, yoga jokes. All Delta Needs is about two and a half beers, and he performs a perfect downward-facing dog for about eight to nine hours. It's a dead dog. (laughs) (laughs) Unlike Hershey, who is rolling around on the floor. I am going to point out, this is the first time we get to use our little taster set that Brian and Jessica got us. Actually, it's probably more like Jessica and Brian. Okay, so Jessica, Brian's wife. she, She found it. She found this little taster set that has four glasses that are probably four ounces a piece that we were supposed to have been using. But one of the episodes, Haley didn't drink, so I just had a beer. Because I was hungover. And then her and Allison had wine that one episode for episode 10. And so we just have not had a chance to use it. But but tonight we can with Brian in the house. So we got to play play Capital Lux. Brian, do you want to kind of explain a little bit of that one? Like a quick, uh, you know. Ooh. Okay, I can try. Uh, So in Capital Lux, you start with a certain number of cards in your hand. Um, You draft those two at a time, uh, pass them to the neighbor on the left, and at the end of the drafting for that round, you have four different kinds of cards, four different professions, and you can either play those cards in the capital for an ability, or you can play them in your hometown for points. But if at the end of the round, if your total value of a certain profession is over the total value in the capital, you discard those cards. So the points that you were trying to save up for go away and you kind of have to start from scratch. And it's incredibly hard for such a simple and quick game. Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, first off, Quan Chai Moria's art is awesome. I just Oh yeah. Well, that's part of the reason I bought it. Yeah. Was I thought the art was beautiful and I wanted to use it as kind of some inspiration for some ideas that I had, but um it got a lot of great reviews as well. And so I thought, why the hell not? And I anytime I purchase a game, I always have to think of my wife. Um, she doesn't really get into the really heavy board games. So I have to kind of consider um, the kinds of things that she needs. So something a little bit easier to learn and something that doesn't take too long. So it's about a 30 minute play time. And so it's kind of perfect for us. Yeah, it is a nice short play time, even though there's a lot of tough decisions to make, which is what's really nice about it. Uh, the artwork, like you said, is awesome, but it's a really neat little game. It plays quickly. And I just love that. Like, you know, do I play this card in my town? Do I play this card in the capital? What do I do with the action? And you have to think, okay, if I play it here, then I'm good on my points in my city, but then there's a modifier. So what if that's already positive and I want to keep this card? And there's just all kinds of stuff to think about for each play. You know what I really loved? What? 
that I won. I think she cheated, Brian. But Haley wins most games. I'm not like that surprised. Except the game of the episode. I have yet to win that one. But Vera, Vera Similitude, she won <laughs> when, when we played. She did win that one. Uh, and then we played uh, King's Road, which I also purchased recently. That one you won. That one I won. Um, mostly because I spread my points around and I tried to put them wherever you guys weren't putting yours. And that kind of worked. Because me and Haley have a problem that we always <laughs> just straight up fight each other the exactly. whole time. You guys just wanted to compete <laughs> over over the, the places worth the most points. And so I was able to like sneak in the back. But it was a really it was a really fun and very simple game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a neat one. It's a Reiner Kinesia game. Uh, but it's basically you have a hand of cards, you pick three, everyone reveals at the same time, and you put some markers on the board, and each city scores, the ho- whoever has the most markers gets the highest amount of points kind of thing. There's a few extra rules thrown in there, but that's essentially the game, so it's really simple to grasp and very easy, but it's really fun. Yeah, and everybody's got the same cards, too. Yeah. So apart from the different locations, you only need to know the, what the three other cards do. Yeah, it was a really good one. We need to play that again. I think Brian had a good strategy in playing the long game. I think you and I were mostly focused on getting points in the immediate, whereas Brian, like you said, places things all over the board, so he was more playing towards the end of the game. So where I thought I was in the lead for a good while, at the very end, Brian just shot up at the last second and destroyed yeah, you, it. You triggered the end game because you got to the, the highest score first, but then forgot that you tri- uh, calculate all the other places. And I was like, I'm not going to try to force the end game i'm just gonna try to score all and it worked because you scored like 50 percent more points than we did yeah maybe i don't know <laughs> let's do it well and i told i told delton too after you left the room i was just like we would score a location and i would immediately put a marker in the location that we had just left so the king like will will travel on a certain road uh, until the game is over and so every time we would he would move further down the road i would just put a marker on that location where we had just been yeah, Brian had the winning strategy for sure. And then Delton and I just battle each other. Like, we never fight in real life. It's just on the board games. We're so occupied with destroying each other, neither one of us wins. That sounds pretty accurate. It's like the 1980s movie, The War of the Roses, where... Except we don't die. I have no idea what that movie is. Have you seen that? <laughs> no. Have you seen that, Brian? Probably not. Well, here's, here's what's funny. You guys talk about War of the Roses being at each other's throats that reminds me of playing rising sun with you guys i'm in the lead but instead of team up and help each other bring me down you just get into a fucking stalemate <laughs> You're like I'll, I'll, I'll be your ally for two coins no make it three coins never mind <laughs> uh it's very very accurate luckily refusal to cooperate luckily on friday night that was not the case Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's it's a game. So this past Friday night, we got to play Rising Sun for our third playthrough. The best part was it was with a full five players, which like rarely happens in this household. Before we get into that, we're going to crack our next beer, which is another Coop Native Amber because we don't have any other beers. <laughs> we have one more for this episode that is different. Yeah, I bet you're wanting to pour that beer in celebration. Because I won, and I am now the champion. As you listeners should know, we have a board game championship title belt. And I won it on Friday 
And we will go into that story in depth, step by step, in a moment. <laughs> but the bigger news is I finally didn't come in absolute last place in Rising Sun. That's right. The former champion did. What the fuck <laughs> was going on? So Brian had won both of the previous games. And as not he, by just a little bit either on that second one. No. So the second game, Brian lapped the board three times into the hundred and fifties, like one fifty three, I think something like that. And me and Haley, I don't think once broke 50, maybe the first game, not the second game for sure. Yeah. That second game was just absolutely brutal. But this third game was actually a lot of fun. I was kind of worried how five players would be, but it actually ended up being, I mean, yeah, it was a longer game. I think it was two hours and 40 minutes start to finish without teaching and setup. Because setup with this game with the Kickstarter goodies is just a beast. I also was talking during though. Without teaching, it was 240? Yeah. Like that is me recording on the camera it was two hours and 40 minutes. Well, here's the good news. It didn't necessarily feel like two hours and 40 minutes. It really didn't. I thought we were probably coming up on two. And then I looked and I was like, oh, geez. <laughs> so before we get further, I want to say the designers and stuff. So the designer of the game is Eric Lang. He also did Blood Rage as well as I think he worked on the Game of Thrones card game, the LCG through Fantasy Flight. I know he did the Star Wars one. Uh, he's doing the new Munchkin CCG. And he's done a bunch of other stuff. The artist is Adrian Smith. The graphic designers is Matthew Harlout, Louise Combal, and Mark Broyon. Spelled like Boyon, but with an R. So there you go. Uh, it is through Simon, cool mini or not. And it's been a really fun game. So the way this game functions, it is set in an extremely romanticized feudal Japan with mythological kamis and onis, which are gods and demons all warring over the different provinces of Japan. So the way the game plays is everybody takes a single clan. There are five in the base box, and you go through a couple stages. First, you have the tea phase. Uh, I think, I don't know if it's the tea party phase or what, but essentially, you are making alliances with the other players. Two of you can ally together, and that will give you benefits later in the game. You also have a chance to betray that person to get more benefits, but also lose honor, which could benefit you or harm you. Once you get done negotiating, which you can also trade coins and things like that, you move into the main part of the game, which is where you choose what they call political mandates. So these political mandates are essentially an action selection style of play, which means you pick from the top four. You pick up the top four mandates and look at them, and then you pick one, put the rest on top, and then you play that mandate. Depending on what it is, everybody goes first ahead of you, and then you go last, aside from the train where you will go first. So everyone takes that action, but you and any ally you have get to take a bonus. That's majority of how the game functions. That's how you're going to put people on the map, move people around the map, buy new cards, put down strongholds, anything of the sort that's going to actually get you control. So you will do three of these mandates, and then you hit what they call the kami phase. There are kami on the top side of the board. There, there will be four every game. Kami, not to be confused with the kamis, a.k.a. the communists. Kami is the Japanese word for god, and so these are the gods. You have three figures in your collection that are the Shinto, 
they have the ability, whenever you summon them onto the board, to be sent to the commies to worship. So between the different mandate steps, you get to worship at the god. So if you have the most force at each kami or one of the kamis, you get some special benefit, whether it's gain two coins, put, uh, put a bushi, your most basic figure, on the board, or move two people or anything like that. So you'll do three mandates, a kami phase, two mandates, a kami phase, two more mandates, a kami phase, and then you hit the war phase at the end. On the war phase, you will calculate the force in each of the provinces that are going to be scoring that season. So each of these sets of actions, from the tea party to the war phase and all those mandates and kami phases, equal a season. You do spring, summer, and fall. So during that season, certain provinces will be scored, depending on how you draw these tiles. So in this war phase at the end of the season, what you do is you find the first province that comes up for battle, and you and anybody else that is present in that province that has force there have a little sheet where you will bid on different actions, such as seppuku or taking somebody hostage, and then you go through that bidding, kind of figure out who wins each action, take all the actions, compare the force, and then the last person wins the province. There's different ways to get points within that, and there's some cards that give you points. But essentially, you go from the T phase through the mandates and commies to the war phase, do that three separate times, and whoever has the most points at the end of the game is the winner. So it sounds like there's a lot, because there is, but it's really not difficult. But we have been really enjoying it because of the way it actually functions. It's not like Risk, where you put people on a board, move them around, roll some dice, move them around, roll some dice. This adds a little bit more to it. Oh, can we speak now? Yes. The game's pretty. And I would say that it's also pretty good. Wow, you guys are really engaging. <laughs> you like that, don't you? There's your podcast. Thank you, good night. All right, thank you, everyone. See you next time. No, I really like the game. Uh, I'm normally not a fan of the dudes on the map. Uh, we played Akuza for three hours once, and we didn't even finish it. But the whole time, Delton and I were just playing it to get it off of our unplayed shelf. Like, the whole time, there's just no joy. But this dudes on the map is a lot different. I like the concept of the alliances because you can really screw people over in it or you can make their day or you can team up like Brian and I can team up against Delton, Delton and Brian against me, which happens all the time in many other different games. But it has the human element with the dudes on the map feel. So it has the the risk placement and the the risk strategy, but with a more human psychology thrown in there. You have to deal with the people on the board, not just with your luck of the dice roll. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think what makes it for me, I mean, there's several things. The dudes on the map, um, we played Inish. We liked it. We played Blood Rage. I didn't like it as much, but I'm willing to give it another try, especially after this. But I think what sets this um, apart from, uh, and I haven't played uh, nearly as many uh, these kinds of games as you ha as you guys have, but the action selection makes it so much more fun, especially when you get to take part in an action that you haven't selected. So one of the things that they both mentioned is that if you're allied with somebody and they select an action that gets a bonus, you also get that bonus. And so you can kind of hash things out and talk to each other. In fact, I would say, if anything, that's the only thing that we haven't really taken a whole lot of advantage of is really playing uh diplomatically 
um, trying to coerce each other to take certain actions that we know will benefit us. Maybe they'll benefit you. And I'm kind of playing it up a little bit. But I'm the one that really needs to get that harvest action right now so I can accrue some more points, some more Ronin, some more coin, whatever. Um, and it's just, I, if it's, a, it's a nice balancing act, I think. It's, it's a great midway between a combat-centric game as well as an action selection game. And the whole time you're kind of having conversations about what you should do. Um, and I think the, uh, the biggest, one of the biggest selling points for me as well is the fact that each player is going to have a different strategy based on the clan that they have. That really has changed your approach to how you're playing and the alliances you're going to make and things like that. Because each of these clans have a completely different ability, but it also then makes them feel like they have a completely different play style. And I feel like you really have to do that. You can't take the turtle clan who has movable strongholds that have force and you can't take the from the turtle clan like the dragonfly clan can move anywhere. You really can't treat them the same or else you would be doing yourself a huge disservice with that. I think that's where I came up short. Not to sell your victory short because I think it was very well earned because not only not only did I lose, everybody else lost. What I'm saying is you outplayed everybody else, but I don't think you had to outplay me because I played so badly. <laughs> um, if you go onto to any forums, it appears that every single clan in the game is broken. Um, in my opinion, that's not the case at all. I did abuse the hell out of the Bonsai clan, but I think that steps could have been taken to prevent that. But this time I played the Lotus clan, which has special manipulation over the actions that you take. And I feel like I did the, I, I feel like I really underutilized that ability. I feel like their ability is the hardest to decide what's the most beneficial. You have to do a lot more thinking about what your opponents are going to do. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. You need to know what your opponents are going to do. And I think most of the time I kept thinking, well, I sure don't want to be betrayed by my ally. So I'm just going to, I'm going to take that option away from them. But I think if I had taken a few more options away from my opponents instead of my ally, it might have done better for me. That makes sense. I haven't figured out a strategy yet because I've lost every single time, so I'll get back to you. Haley rolls into season three halfway through. The game's almost over, and she's like, hey, look, I've got four points. <laughs> well, I think that happened to me the first time we played. Yeah. Um, because if you're focused more on combat, I think that that will happen to you a little bit because you're so busy uh, preparing your troops to take over a certain region and then get the points for that region. And so you're not focused on purchasing cards or harvesting the, the spaces. And, and that's something that doesn't score until the end. But see, what happened to me is it looked like maybe that was my strategy because I only had like five points instead of four. But then I really didn't have any territories that I took command of either. So I didn't score hardly anything after the game ended either. Uh, it was just a brutal, brutal loss for Brian. It was about as bad as me and Haley before. But I didn't come in last this time. Yeah, you guys are really driving that point home, aren't you? Yeah, that's, uh, it feels nice. I don't care who <laughs> came behind me. I'm just happy I didn't get last, finally. <laughs> And I won, beating Mac by like three points, which was, was glorious. That was a good one. And even the entire last uh, season, I was doing everything I could to uh, help uh, Cass to win. 
because if Cass won, then you couldn't win and steal my belt away. <laughs> because, because I mean, the way it works is uh, Delton and Haley and I, we all play games quite a bit. Others don't come over as often. And so if Mac wins the belt and disappears for four months, well, that's not fun for us. So I was doing everything I can since they're the only two that can win. I was doing everything I can to, to help cast, uh, be the, the king of the mountain, queen of the mountain so that you couldn't win. And I honestly, up until like, up until that worship where you, where you screwed her over and took over all of the, the worships. Oh, that felt so good. It, I, she may not come back. I just, <laughs> just a heads up. She may not come back. I, but, but up until that happened, I honestly thought that she still had a really good chance of of getting there. Mm-hmm. So it was it was tight. It just Haley and I were kind of playing to not be last. And you lost with last place. I think I just try and play the long game a lot in games and and with like resource management uh or worker placement games that tends to help me win, but for some reason ignoring so I I'll ignore like little points along the way and exchange for actions to get me points at the very end. To help me in blood rage, for example. But in this game, you can't ignore the little points along the way. You have to harvest. You have to uh, take the chances that give you those little points because that's how you win. Yeah, you really do have to collect some of the points along the way. You can't just focus on the end game. However, Brian's end game, that second game with the Bonsai Clan, was brutal because he had multiple cards that just gave him points after points after points. Yeah, well, and I, I took advantage. I, I kind of lucked out with the Kami that we had to worship. During the first game, I played as the Dragonfly Clan, who can move anywhere on the map. They're not restricted. And so I just continued to worship on the, the spirit that allowed me to move two extra times every time we worship. So my guys were flying all over the place. And the second game we played, uh, the Bonsai Clan, they can really buy things cheap. And so I just worship to the spirit that allows you to buy things more often. And I just bought all the stuff. Yeah, they're each very different, and like Brian said, just playing to that clan is really what you have to do. So Dragonfly Clan moves anywhere. Turtle Clan has strongholds that have a force and can move instead of like normal peoples that just sit. The Koi Clan basically just has a ton of money all the time. The Bonsai Clan, I guess that's the last one. Um, no, Bonsai is the one with everything costs one right. or yeah, less if Fox you have a discount. Clan. The Fox Clan was a Kickstarter exclusive, which is where p- different units pop up. And then the Lotus Clan is a base game one, which is where you manipulate. You can take one of those political mandate action tiles and flip it face down without showing anybody and claim it to be anything. And then you do whatever you claim it to be. So it's really neat because each one does have a strategy you have to employ. Uh, And like we said, the Lotus Clan is probably the most difficult at the moment to figure out what we're doing. But it's really neat because no matter what you get, you always have something interesting, which is what I like so far. You don't feel like you've just got, you know, the, the shitty clan out of it. And uh, I don't know if we've mentioned, but probably the best miniatures of any game I've ever seen. I haven't seen a million miniatures, but they're pretty damn impressive. They're very, very good. Like even the turtles have bellies that are etched in. Yeah, and that's something somebody could just easily ignore and not put any effort into making that a, a, a decision. They were like, no, 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 no. If these things go belly up, people are going to go, wow, look, there's detail <laughs> underneath the belly of the turtle. I spent a solid 45 seconds on Friday oogling over those turtle bellies. Yeah, it is really nice. I mean, they they always go all out with their minis, but since they made so much damn money on the Kickstarter, this one really took off in terms of quality of 
Kickstarter components as well as just the base minis. They're really good. Which is why a car payment was spent on this game. Shh. Oh, totally worth it from my point of view. So far, yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, I agree too. I just got to give you crap because that's my job as your wife. This was the first Kickstarter I've ever backed, and so far I'm not disappointed, especially because I've got two coming in November and one next year, which are probably going to be the last Kickstarters for the rest of this year. <laughs> so maybe in the fall if there's anything big that looks awesome. But uh, Rising Suns, like I said, we've all been saying it's really been fun. Um, everybody kind of has their own strategy. We get to negotiate a little bit. We get to play around. It's just fun to do. Uh, even though I keep losing, I still have a lot of fun because I'm trying so hard to figure out my strategy. And I love that challenge. I like a challenge, too. That's why I'm willing to pick up the, the Lotus Clan again and, and give them another shot. Maybe not next time, but the one after that. I think this next one, we need to integrate the expansion with the Sun and Moon. Sure. And like one of us play Fox and the other one play Sun, the other one play Moon and just go with all three expansion clans. Yeah, we've we've been uh, really introducing all the components slowly because there's so many because we're trying to drag this thing out so that we can, you know, keep slowly get my money's worth. Well, (laughs) uh, you know, I don't want to get burnt out. You know, it's it's easy to find something that you really like and then overdo it. And then four months later, you're like, you know, we haven't played that in a while. Yeah, I think I'm okay with that too. My entire know. game collection, yeah, right? <laughs> I know. I'm like, well, oh, this game was fun that one time three years ago on a you know Saturday afternoon. When are we gonna play it again? Well, on the flip side, it is a game that you want to play over and over again. Now, some games after the first time or two, you're you're pretty good for a while. But I was telling them this one. You know, Friday was the third time we played, and I, you know, it took two hours and forty minutes, like Delton said. But I would have been ready to play it again. I had so much fun with it. One thing I enjoy, though, is that it takes mechanics that I've seen elsewhere and puts them together in their own unique way. Yeah, you mentioned that the action selection is similar to Puerto Rico, which I have not played. It's similar to Puerto Rico and like Race for the Galaxy kind of role for the galaxy. That one does it a little differently. But there are there are multiple games that use the action selection mechanic. Puerto Rico, to me, is just the I mean, that is the game for Puerto Rico for the most part is action selection with a little bit of resource management. But I just love that. Action selection's always been something I like because everyone's engaged. You don't have much downtime that you're not doing anything. But yeah, Rising Sun's been awesome. We've all really enjoyed it. The mechanics have been fun. The different roles have been fun. Everyone that's played it, which has been me, Haley, Brian, and then Mac and Cass, we've all had a fun time with it, so we're really glad we picked it up. There's only one major problem with it. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top-shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. And before we get to that one thing, which is obviously our topic now, we're going to drink our next beer. So this is our last beer for the episode. It is Anthem, our favorite company. It is the Golden One Belgian Style Blonde. It is 7% alcohol by volume. And on the can, it says assertive, beautiful, complex. Pairs well with fritas, and I guess that's like french fries, uh, chicken tikka masala, whatever that is, triple cream cheeses, and Tart tartan? Tart tartan? <laughs> I obviously do not know my fancy foods with f- fancy names. Delton is truly a traveler of the world. <laughs> I am a troglodyte. So. <laughs> what? A troglodyte. What the hell is that? It's a little troll thing that just eats 
you know. No, didn't we come up with troglodyte as a nickname for like a certain kind of fart? Yeah. <laughs> it still fits, doesn't it? <laughs> it still fits, okay? It still fits. I'm falling in love all over again. Yeah. Good. All right, it says to serve at 46 degrees. It's probably there by now. And then it says a fruity nose. What? A fruity nose? <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, a fruity nose he did with hints from of college, coriander everybody. and pineapple bring it balance just goes to, show to this beer's multi-base. <laughs> if you want to be a podcaster, you can do it, I assure you. Let me be the example. And if you'd like to be valedictorian, uh, Delta, what high school did you go to? Yeah, I was also valedictorian in my high school because we were a swamp school. <laughs> and we're just a bunch of swamp rats. A fruity nose. <laughs> no, really, it says a fruity nose. Read that, a fruity nose. Yes. It, say, it says a fruity nose. I believe you that it says a fruity nose. I don't know what that means. If it was a fruity note, sure. It's get like it. whenever you smell it, it smells fruity. Yeah. Yeah, but you don't call it a fruity nose. Well, maybe they do. Well, they're wrong. I obviously don't work in the beer industry <laughs> for a reason. I would absolutely love to see the descriptor that Delton puts on the side of his beer can. We're going to try it with this, this one. It tastes pretty good. <laughs> It'll, like get it <laughs> yeah. It'll get you drunk. It'll get you drunk. It's my beer. <laughs> it's just a picture of me on the side of the can going, you'll like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> Please wear your Cabela's shirt yeah. in the picture. Okay, so they keep giving me crap about my Cabela's shirt. Let me just point something out here. This was a Christmas gift, and it's very comfortable. <laughs> I believe you. And it's not even that it's unattractive. It just doesn't look like it goes on you. Does anything, though? I, well, Brian and I were talking earlier. Brian said Delton looks like... Was it someone who is going to go hunt crocodiles? Yeah, he looks like he's about to step into a, a crocodile enclosure. Or uh, maybe an out-of-work gun for hire. He's been out of the service for a couple years. He looks years. like an NRA spokesman. Oh, man. <laughs> he looks like a junior high biology teacher. I look more like my college biology teacher, freshman year. He looks like his, his, his high school alma mater has a restraining order on him. <laughs> All right, let's you just see how long we can keep this. Going. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So let's hold on. I'm gonna test. I'm gonna taste this, and we're gonna get my thing first. I'm gonna smell it first. Let's see what the nose is. It's got a nose of. Oh, it's a fruity nose. Look at that. They were spot on. It's got a nose of beer, a little bit of hop, sour, a little bit of skunk. This is why they don't hire you to to write it because if somebody wrote on their can, it smells like skunk. <laughs> well, beers aren't supposed to be skunky. Well, mostly. Yeah, it's got a little bit of that sour to it. For those who don't know, Anthem only comes in cans, at least as far as I can tell. And I feel like not too many places have them on tap, if any. I don't know, but... You have to go to places like yeah. uh, Patriarch and stuff. Right. I don't, see it. I don't see it out of the can very often, which is why I'm acting surprised that it's so cloudy. Brian only drinks from the can. We pour our beers in glasses a lot. I think that's the difference. I like to skip the middleman. <laughs> yeah. Plus, it's less, it's less dishes for me. That's also true. We should probably do the same. <laughs> okay, but to get back on topic here, to our topic, the one big problem with Rising Sun, and this is something that's been pointed out in the industry, so we wanted to bring this up and just talk about it a little bit. Rising Sun was researched on Wikipedia. Gasp! So Wikipedia has been used by everyone 
high school, college, I don't think it matters. We've all used it at some point. That's just, it's one of those resources we have to use. The difference is, some of us know to go to the resource pages at the bottom and go to those instead. <laughs> that way you have a legit source for your paper. Well, Simon did not do that. They went to Wikipedia and just used Wikipedia, and they didn't cite it, which is also bad. It's plagiarism, guy. <laughs> but they didn't. So what happened was, this random New Zealander, some Kiwi, I don't know his name, his friends call him... Is Kiwi a derogatory term? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay. I don't I think, think so. It, I think it's okay. Calling if, him a bird. I if, think it's like a yank. Or, I, I don't know. I mean, that's a pretty old-fashioned term for American. I mean... I feel like if you just said Brit, kind of like a Brit. Yeah. Similar-ish. Just check. Yeah. But some, some we, New Zealander... We go to talk about cultural sensitivity and board games as we're tossing around derogatory <laughs> terms. <laughs> it's okay. They're very light. Uh, but it's the, some New Zealander. His friends call him Kotahi, apparently. So they made a fake Wikipedia page about a Kotahi, who they said is a Japanese monkey god of some sort that always has a beard and something or another. Well, he is now in Rising Sun eternally because they got their sources and got all their information from Wikipedia and did not pay out of the $4.2 million that this made on Kickstarter. They could not pay someone to actually do the research and get legit names, make sure the looks were correct. They went with the super romanticized, super fantasy version, and they just kind of got that wrong, and I don't know what else they have wrong, but that's the one that is just blatantly, obviously wrong. So the question is, I guess not really a question, but the topic is basically they, they didn't do what they should have done. Is that a big deal? That's the big one. I mean, obviously, most people don't give a crap. There's that. But at the same time, I feel like they should have had like done their due diligence and figured that out beforehand. Like this shouldn't have been something that happened. I feel like any time that you use a culture, especially one that isn't your own, you know, in something that you're creating, you should do your best to respect the culture. I think part of respecting that culture is making sure what you're presenting is accurate. Now, if you are presenting something that takes elements from different cultures, let's say you make up your own, like your own tribe or your own country or something like that. Yes, it can borrow elements from different cultures, and you can totally make stuff up if you want to. But the thing is, it's at least to my understanding, he was trying to make this board game as culturally relevant as he could. And not to say this is Eric Lang's fault. I mean, there's many other people on this project, I'm sure. But if they're trying to make this culturally relevant, then you need to take the time to do the research. And even if that is paying somebody with a humanities degree 20 bucks an hour for four hours to do a little heavy research... I mean, that's fine. But just taking it from Wikipedia is not respecting the culture enough if you're going to use the culture as a muse for your board game. I think that's a solid point, and I agree with it, that they should have paid someone to do this. And it's even though, yes, a lot of the gods and stuff they're talking about is from a more, I don't want to say outdated, but a previous culture of Japanese culture. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it makes like, sense. yeah, that it's this is it's kind of like talking about the Egyptian gods. That's not how Egypt is now, but you should still respect it as someone's cultural past. And like I said, if you were just, you know, taking inspiration from a culture, like making your own culture, say you are doing a board game that is themed in Africa and you take inspiration from different countries in Africa. And it's not like you're saying, oh, this is all Kenyan. You're just 
making up your own, but taking inspiration from others to give it that feel, that's one thing. But it's, it's, you can't just wing it if you're going to be making a culturally sensitive board game. In my opinion, it doesn't. The thing is, is I don't fall into the political correctness of today all that much. Um, I think being sensitive to others is, is certainly something that you have to consider. But if nobody had told me that this game was researched on Wikipedia, I would have never known. Because I'm looking at it in the context of, well, this is a board game. I don't assume that there were Japanese clans that dressed up with dragonfly feathers and flew around. I'm kind of looking at it more, kind of the way you described it, is it's very fantastical and romanticized. That being said, if they claim that we are going to make an authentic Japanese, feudal Japan-inspired game, well, then that becomes a little bit more of a problem. But it's similar to watching, in my opinion, it's similar to watching, like, The Last Samurai. That cannot possibly be culturally <laughs> accurate. But is that why I'm watching it? You know, if I was going to do that, I would just watch a documentary. And I think that that could prove to be a successful board game as well. But um, when I look at the box, when I look at the figurines, when I look at all of these different things from the context of, am I intrigued by the way this clan looks? Um, do I, it, it, whether or not it's inspired by a legitimate clan that actually existed back in feudal Japan, it's kind of irrelevant, I guess, in my opinion. But I think where you have to draw the line is, are they claiming that it's a an authentic Japanese historical experience where you have to start to really be concerned? But to your point, how much money that they made, I think a little research wouldn't be too far <laughs> out of the question either. I think so. for me, where it really comes in, I don't think they meant for it to be, you know, like a historical thing, but I know that they wanted all the actual gods and demons and stuff. Yeah, they wanted those of the culture, and so for them to do Wikipedia and throw in the one that wasn't at all, but they didn't do enough research to catch it. That that is, it starts to that line for me. I would agree then. Yeah. yeah, if if they said, well, these are actual historical beings that they used to worship back in feudal Japan, I feel like this is something that you could. You don't even have to pay somebody. You send a staffer or an intern to the local library, <laughs> check out a few books. They sift through it get an idea of what these commies and onis were really all about, and then they translate that into a character that works for the board game. Yeah. I mean, I do agree with Brian. You know, when you look at this game and you see the Koi clan or you see the Dragonfly clan as they are, like you said, flying around the board, you don't expect it to be historically accurate, too. So I do see where Brian's coming from as well. Um, I think it's well, it's like what Delton said, though. They, If they're outwardly saying that this is supposed to be historically accurate, then it has to have some consideration. One thing I always like to point out, and this is because how much it amazed me that it happened. Every single friggin' Viking game, like Blood Rage or Fire and Axe or Vikings on Board, I mean, there's, you know, I, I could probably name more if I thought about it. They always take the fantastical or the romanticized version, or they do it um, in just a way that most people think of Vikings, which isn't a big deal. It's like the TV show Vikings, everybody loved that. The thing is, like the TV show, all those games get different things wrong. Like the TV show, 
the uh, the attire, the way they dressed and the colors they used, completely inaccurate, which is what's hilarious to me. Well, and, I mean, again, though, and yeah. I don't want to cut your point off. No, you're good. If you depicted the way they really dressed, it's not sexy. Yeah, it's exactly. not. It's, it's not going to sell. Know, you're not exactly. <laughs> nobody's going to back it on Kickstarter. So I do think that there's a balancing mm-hmm. act. But yeah. Anyway, continue your point. But oh no, you're good. Uh, I understand that completely. And you know that's how these games are. You look at Blood Rage. You're like, oh, you know, you get to play as the Ice Giant, and it's, you know, there's Thor and all this crazy stuff. But that's one reason that I love A Feast for Odin so much. And I know I've showed you they have an almanac of like this picture is depicted because of this and blah 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 blah. And they've done so much research, and it's so accurate in the clothing and the colors and the design of it and the pieces they used. And like a depiction of a helmet and it's Eric the Red's helmet. And then the little Viking chess piece is actually what we have as a Viking chess piece. And I love the care that they put into the game to make sure that it was depicted as accurately as possible for a board game. But I think this also comes from my degree field. Since I went through humanities, that kind of stuff matters. So like, I liked the movie Troy. Troy was cool. It's an awesome movie. You know, I love that whole story. But the thing that kills me in that movie, one, there's no llamas in Greece. Sorry, that's not a thing. There's like llamas at one point. And I was like, why, why are there llamas there? And then in the very first fight scene when, you know, he comes out as Achilles and he stabs the dude in the neck and like the whole fight's over. They're not wearing appropriate armor. Their armor is a later period. And it's like from my degree field, that's a little bothersome because we're like, but that does that's not right. And I know it's not a big deal and you're not going for the movie for that. But when you're trying to be kind of accurate and you just get one thing wrong, even though that's a minor inaccuracy, not many people would know that. But, you know, just if you want to claim to be this is going to be historical looking and then you mess it up, it's when it starts to bug me, I think, more than anything. If you want a historically accurate movie about Greece, 300. (laughs) You can't. You can't get more realistic than 300. They had airbrushes for abs back then all over the place <laughs> i don't give a shit man those guys were sexy <laughs> i watched that oh, the other night and i thought wow this just isn't that great i mean it is yeah. great for what it is mm-hmm. but in in the long term if you were to open that up in a time capsule you'd be like well the only reason i'm okay with it is because it's actually from a comic book of 300 well and if you compare the two yeah it's incredible how they captured the feel of the comic yes book they did in that movie yeah so that made it a little more okay because for some reason and this is a weird thing for me a comic book i'll allow it to do what it wants but the minute a movie tries it i'm like no you guys are wrong well because you know the comic book artist and writer they're doing it for the love of doing it and the movies want the money movie's trying to make money and how big is that budget hundred so, some million probably i don't know but you know? see that might speak to kind of where your feelings are right yeah look at how much rising sun did on the Kickstarter, right? So are they kind of are they kind of abusing this feudal J- Japan like theme with these incredible figures that are so provocative and eye catching just to make a ton of money? Whereas Feast for Odin, they're taking so much care for somebody like you. It's just it's it's an incredible like breath of fresh air. Where they're probably doing it a little bit more for the love of the theme. Mm-hmm. you know yeah versus a, a kind of a eye grabber like you said sex sells sort of thing and if you make these awesome minis with the coolest people and these giant beasts you're like oh this is the coolest it's so neat well they were so you good even i that. considered backing it yeah i live two minutes away there's no reason that we should both have a copy <laughs> nope 
because you know uh, like i said at the top of the show my wife's not going to play a, a, a game that takes two hours and is overly complicated but just because the stuff was so damn cool i thought i might back this thing and there's so much of it yeah there's a lot it's crazy but i mean like you said you're going into it it is a board game so you have to take that but it depends on what they announce and what their intentions are and so i think i mean there's a lot that goes into it and it's kind of hard to judge them straight up, but at the same time, we can at least make fun of them for not double-checking their Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, yeah. At least a double-check. Especially the top decision-makers. I feel like if they would have just taken what they wrote and put it into, into turnitin.com, it would have been like a 98 <laughs> <It would have laughs> There would have been red pin all over that sheet. It just would have ripped it apart with like, <laughs> hey, you can't, this is plagiarized and this is it plagiarized. It would have sent them a fax back that it was already pre-shredded. Yeah, they would have looked, opened their email up, and you would have heard 9-11 with your emergency. <laughs> They're taking our information. Okay, on that note. Why do you say 9-11? <laughs> I thought, he must be talking about some like weird like conspiracy documentary or something. No, my, my brain. It's d- d- my 91-1, brain. what's your emergency? 9-1-1. 9-11. Well... <laughs> since rising sun and themes have been part of our past two episodes and especially this episode i think i have a really good question to ask and now join us for a malt house games podcast special bite-sized question so a good question was posed by brian and i'm gonna let brian pose it again oh Uh uh-oh because i forgot (laughs) it was a really good one guys it was great. Uh, I believe the question that I uh, considered at the uh, brought into consideration uh, before the starting of the recording: um, if you were to be the leader of your own made-up clan in Rising Sun, what would be the name of the clan, and what would be kind of the clan's gimmick? So you could come up with like I don't know. You could come up with the mechanic that they use. You could come up with just a basic overall theme. You know, these guys are uh, shifty pickpockets or something like that. Haley wants to go first. She's very excited. I'm excited. I've been thinking about this all episode. The drunk clan. Drunk? So, there's no stronghold. Whenever it's time for your little critter to go. (laughs) You're homeless. what i meant i drank myself out of my home but my thing is so there's no strongholds you roll a die and wherever the die lands whatever number that's where you put your person it's like you woke up in a new area woke yes. up black and in a new area <laughs> um so your gimmick is you can move like re- normal um but you are free from the um you cannot make alliances because nobody wants to be friends with the drunk um, but at the same time, people cannot use the, uh, you can't use the betray action, you can't use the hostage action on you. So basically, you're dropped randomly on the board, you can move like normal, people can't use the betray action, they can't use the hostage action on the board. And so you can move afterward, but it's like you're stumbling because you might be in a random place that you don't remember waking up in, um, and so you might not get too far, so you kind of have, but at the same time, you are not going to be betrayed because no one wants to ally with you and you're free from being taken hostage because you'd be paying the ass i guess that works i don't think i'd want to play with that one (laughs) (laughs) i 
want to. Here I'm sitting there thinking it's going to be some sweet Jackie Chan action where they're like the drunken masters. Right. And it turns out they're just drunk. They're <laughs> just wondering. All right. So I guess I'll go next since Brian was the question asker. Since you were Mr. Trebek. <laughs> Mr. Trebek gives the answers, not the questions. Oh, God. My brain. Um, Four. Now the question pops up on the board. I guess he does read but, them. But, That's why... but, but then he says, what is a blah, blah, blah? Yeah. What is a drunken master? Meh, meh. I All hate right, so today's daily double. What's, what's it going to be? Double? Today's daily double. So today's daily double is going to be a special clan. This clan, you know, they're going to have, you know, the staff, the staff that has the long blade on the end. And that usually has the like piece of red feathering. Just before the blade. I can't think of the name of those. Well, that's the thing. That's One of the clans has that. Mac was asking what that was. Yes. I feel like it's a Naganato. But it's I could a be fancy shoe. I could be completely wrong. I might have just used a, a Japanese cuss word. I don't know. That's true. We don't know Japanese. <laughs> 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 Not very good. I feel like they would have a ton of those. That would be like the main weapon of all of them. Because I just think those are cool. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the board, they would be a dark purple piece. Because we have light purple. We need dark yeah. purple. In terms of an ability, I think it would be cool if they had some sort of ability where every time you move a person into a province with somebody else, you take a coin from whoever else is there. Just kind of like you were saying, like thieves or something, but you kind of come in and push your way around and you can take, basically like take money from everyone would be kind of neat. Um, I mean, that's really just about it, but nice and simple. <laughs> I feel like you guys are going for like ultra game inspired clan instead of like this is my clan and this is what we're all about yeah yeah <laughs> that's okay show us a good example brian well i don't think i have a good example because mine's very game inspired as well but i was hoping you guys were gonna bring some class <laughs> no our brains are tired you guys aren't ready for this one okay this is a little bit more like Haley's. okay this thing totally sucks you probably don't want to play with this clan okay what do you mean that's like Haley's? oh nothing <laughs> Go ahead. It's also not nearly historically accurate. Okay. But I don't give a shit. So it's a bunch of Canadians on mooses. You're not too far off. <laughs> it's the Panda Clan. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, of course. The Panda Clan cannot put new figures out on the board. Okay. And when the game is over, if you have no figures on the board, you get an insane amount of points. Huh? <laughs> Is that because pandas can't breathe? That's right. Because they're really bad at it? Yeah. It's kind of depressing. Yep. No new pandas out on the board, and if they all go extinct, you win. I feel like I need to talk okay. to a therapist about that. So a is it sad. So for them, then, sad. it would I be the- that levity. That's it, not- that's It means, not means all their figures would start on the board. Right? Okay, I could, I'd be okay with that, yeah. Here, here's the thing. I think the only other stipulation would be they cannot commit seppuku. Yeah. That way you can't kill yourself. So you have to be part of combat and slowly be annihilated. Got a panda killing itself. That's even worse. <laughs> That's why I said you can't do it. They're not going to be at the bamboo shoots be like, this is enough bamboo for today and forever. hi -ya! Yes. <laughs> this is really insensitive of me we, to say, but it's okay. We just lost all of our panda listeners. We really did. I'm sorry, pandas. I love you. Little fuzzy ears. Did you know that their scientific name comes from the, the Latin phrase for cat-footed or cat feet? No, I did not. I guess that. the paws of pandas are very similar to cats. Yeah, it's always back to cats with us. I'm, I I'm, like cats. <laughs> I'm absolutely going to bring that up the next time I'm in a, an 
intelligent conversation. You should like in the elevator, somebody walks in. Did you yes. know? Are you aware? Are you aware? I think those are all solidly strange clans that we need to make up and play with one day for fun. <laughs> yeah. We have the pieces. We just have to remember what we do. That's a, uh, that's a, that's a Patreon exclusive, uh, <laughs> item. Yeah. yeah we... <laughs> if you guys, uh, go ahead and, uh, <laughs> go ahead and, uh, contribute on the Patreon and, uh, y- you get all kinds of bonuses. We'll, uh, we'll replay this episode if there's ever a Patreon later on. <laughs> Just it's save like that. Episode 235, and it's this again. They're we like, finally I think have I've a Patreon. Heard this. Hey, you guys promised those stupid panda clans. <laughs> You're like, When's get, that coming out? You get like a bunch of rocks from our fish tank and paint little panda faces on them. Yeah. Like, there you go. Moving them around the board. All right. Well, I think that officially wraps up episode 11. Last one was 10. This one's 11. It feels like it's been. Not that long of time to hit 11 already. Also known as episodes 1-0 and 1-1. Also known. I was going to start going into other languages, but I'm going to stop because I get it. It's fine. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in and listening again. Please like, share, subscribe, rate us. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. These two are dying over here. It is at Malthouse Games, M A L T H A U S. What is your emergency? Don't call. I'm fucking laughing too hard. Don't call 911. Email us instead. Contact at malthousegames.com. If it's a real emergency, please call 911. Thank you for tuning in again. I have been Delton. In the background, laughing has been Brian. This has been Haley as well. Stop. Sit back, relax, have a drink, and play some games, folks. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Buenas noches.